This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to this Joy 94.9 podcast. We want to hear from you. It's time for our listener survey. So head to the Joy website and let us know what you love about the station and your presenters. Maybe you'd like to share your thoughts on Joy's program production team, the volunteers behind Joy podcasts. The results of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be. Head to joy.org.au and have your say. Joy 94.9, your voice, your radio station. What's the weirdest thing you've ever had in your mouth? I don't mean to get saucy or sexy on you today. We actually want to talk about um, unusual food and uh, unusual things to eat. Uh, think crickets and bugs and maybe my new co-host might be able to talk about salted caramel crickets in chocolate. We're going to find out all about that in the next hour. Stay with me. Hello, we are talking cravings. It's six minutes past one. You're here on Joy 94.9. My name is Pete Dillon. This is your favourite favorite show about food and wine. It's actually your only show about food and wine right here on your favourite radio station, Joy 94.9. I am delighted to have your company this afternoon. I'm also delighted to have the company of somebody who's in the middle of doing Joy's Taste of Radio course. So he's coming to do an internship on this program, and who knows, it might end up... Um, being a regular gig. You met him before. He is a chocolatier. His name is Tad Lombardo. Uh, welcome back to the studio in, in a more formal capacity. Yes, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about Taste of Radio. What are you learning? Uh, everything from production to paneling to writing, um, the rules. Um, what rules? <laughs> <laughs> the ones you're not supposed to break. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm informed in those rules. Yeah. Things like media law and all of that come Absolutely. into it as well. Yep. So you thinking about defamation and not being able Definitely. to say things. Could and have been a bit of defamation this morning with Pauline Hansen on the yes, phone to the boys on Satmag. Yeah, that's a bit, quite an interesting conversation. Um, why this program? Um, uh, well, a lot of things, reasons. I, I, I love food. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm in the industry. Um, and I think it's quite a unique program as well. And it's something that um, provides a lot of people with information and different topics that they n- normally wouldn't know about or, or hear things about. Mm. So it's, um, it's, it's quite unique from that point of view. Well, we are delighted to have you on board. What's Thank the you. weirdest thing you've ever eaten? 
It's been a few things. Um, well, you're, you're American, as, so. Well, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm also, my, my past life as an engineer, I did a lot of traveling in China. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times clients would bring you into these amazing restaurants where the, the ground level, it's just tanks of different things and not just fish. And you would go and choose unusual things and I would just leave it to the, the cl- you know, the client that I was visiting. And, um, and they, you would go up to a private dining room where they would create this fresh food, which is quite amazing. But, you know, a lot of times you're eating snake, you're eating Have sea you eaten cucumber. a snake where they, where they sort of skin it in front of you and slice it and it's I not have, quite dead? Yes, yeah. And, and yeah. it's one of those, it's mind over matter because you can't not eat it because it's offensive to not do mm. that, you know, to the client. So there's been many things I never would have chosen on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I, this conversation started in my office. Uh, we were talking about... Um, I was asked some of the, the yeah. weird things I've eaten. So snake in that, that skinning it, slicing it when it's almost not quite dead and not quite Absolutely. alive. Um, raw horse, I ate that in Japan. Yep. Uh, puffer fish, so the very poisonous really? fish in Japan. Um, guinea pig, flying fox, so kind right. of bat that I ate in. Uh, it's a bit of a delicacy in Vanuatu. Yes. Um, so there's a, I've eaten a few weird things myself. So it sort of came to this discussion on the back of a chat I was having last Saturday with Ros yep. Grundy and, uh, and Casey Wall in particular. We are talking about the Good Food Guide Awards, and I had received this release about a, a dinner that's happening on Monday, October 3, right. which is all based on bugs. Very interesting. Well, um, and, mm, go on. You know, well in a lot, of, a lot of ways, I mean, obviously there's, um, there's, there seems to be kind of a trend in that direction. Um, and, and as we were talking earlier, but, you know, there's a sustainability issue with that and, um, you know, as far as the food chain and, and where things are going. Mm. So it's, um, I, I think it's, it'll probably be a little while before it gets out there to the point where it's an accepted or um, something that people are comfortable with. Yeah, we can go into McDonald's and have a, 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 a side of uh, a side of crickets <laughs> exactly. with, with your burger. It's, uh, the, the guys last week didn't seem to think that that's, that's going to happen. Okay. Um, it may be a, a short-lived fad. I think right. th- there's reasons I, I kind of think it could be sustainable. First of all, um, it is a sustainable, ongoing, and easy-to-produce food source yep. uh, as a protein source. Um, it doesn't need a truckload of land as cattle and sheep and right. pigs and deer and all those sorts of things need. Uh, again, a very um, small space can produce a lot of crickets. Definitely. And I, but I think, too, it's... it's, it's um you know the the truth is is in a lot of cultures it already is part of correct part of it so mm. um and it's by necessity that it has to be that way um because exactly. it's just part of their life a friend of mine was in cambodia ended up in yep. hospital um ate the legs of a spider so they eat spiders in cambodia right. which is quite normal i know that i could quite go as far as spiders but yes no. <laughs> ate the leg off this spider and ended up incredibly sick really like really really sick and in hospital for weeks in cambodia which is not the one of my system. greatest fears. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, look, I'm, I'm, I think we're going to explore this over uh, the rest of the hour. We're going to speak to Lance Rosen a bit later. He is a, um, uh, an author and a barbecue expert. So he was in about a year ago with Hilary McNevin, who mm-hmm. is somebody we, we both know. He wrote a book about barbecue, and we we're going to try and work out how you can get flavors of wood into charcoal. Yeah. Um, this is all based on the fact that there is a new charcoal company coming to Australia, America's number one charcoal, yeah. uh, called Kingsford Charcoal, mm-hmm. which was created by Henry Ford. Yep. When he was building cars back in the early 20s, cars were made of wood. Yes. And he had all of these offcuts of wood. So he decided to create charcoal briquettes for barbecues and, and for yep. heating. Um, 
with the offcuts from the Model T. It's fascinating, isn't it? It is. So yeah. we're going to talk to Lance about how or, or what charcoal we should use Yeah. Um, if we're wanting to do some fish in a smoker or yeah. if we're wanting to put a leg of a lamb in the Weber and what influence things like hickory and mesquite and applewood sure. and sherry actually have on the flavor of the food. Which it would, obviously. It imparts that flavor mm. into it. And um, yeah. And being American, you would know all about barbecue. Yeah, I'm probably not the best at it, but I do know about it. I, I know enough to know that I like it. <laughs> you know how to get to Charleston, South Carolina. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Where that seems to be the epicenter of... Absolutely, yeah. Where, where are you from originally? Northern New Jersey, right okay. outside of New York. Yeah. So you're a Jersey boy. Yep. Yeah, okay. Not May not sound the... like it anymore, but... Uh, no, yeah. your accent is, is fading. <laughs> it is. Do they tell you when you go home you sound like an Australian? Absolutely. And people here think I'm more Canadian than American. So. Yeah, well, there's a certain civilization about that. I would be, I would be claiming... Canadian right about now because <laughs> I tell you what I'd rather Justin Trudeau as as oh, so my I. leader than either the Oompa Loompa or or Absolutely. Hillary. Oh, I mean, like Justin Trudeau for president for of the world. Yeah, Absolutely. I know. Let's make him the boss of the United Nations or it. something. <laughs> <laughs> it's thirteen minutes past one. You are here on Joy ninety four point nine. This is Cravings. Tad Lombardo, my co-host, and myself, taking you through until two o'clock. We are exploring weird things that you have put in your mouth. Bonjour, I am Gabriel Gatte. You are listening to Cravings with Peter Dillon on Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. You are on Joy 94.9. It is a quarter past one on what started out as a reasonably glorious Saturday. It's not so now. Uh, starting to get a bit cloudy, still 19 degrees, heading for a top of 20 today. Tad Lombardo is my co-host today and we are talking about weird things you've put in your mouth. Uh, in the nicest possible way. The reason we're doing this, Ted, is because um, we're about to speak to somebody who's putting together a dinner called a bug dinner, which is on the 3rd of October. Um, and it's all about alternative food economies by using protein sources that are readily available to us, that is, bugs. Ben Mack has put it together. He is um, the founder of the Social Food Project. Ben, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure. Tell us, first of all, about the Social Food Project. Yeah, sure. So uh, the Social Food Project is an organisation that essentially what we want to do is engage people through pop-up food events um, and kind of talk about better ways of doing things in regards to, um, to food and, um, and food systems. In what way? Ben, give me a bit more meat on that bone. So... <clears throat> yeah, sure. So I guess um, uh, kind of what we what we love to do is uh, community dinners uh, that incorporate elements of sort of storytelling and education. So um, you know, getting people together around around a table, um, sharing food, sharing a bit of wine, and um, and kind of using that that space as a way of talking about how we can do things better. Um, you know, how we can support our local our local farmers more. And um, I guess how we should be conscious consumers, essentially. Are we talking about how we support farmers by trying to eradicate perhaps a cricket problem that they might have or a, a locust problem on the farm? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> so I guess that would, although that would be a good uh, little two-for-one you know, value add. But I guess um, in regards to the, the bugs dinner, that, that's kind of one um, special event that we're doing, but Broadly speaking, with the social food project, um, looking at, at the whole food system. So, it, 
it, Ben, this is Tad here. Um, just a quick question. So it's not just about bugs. It's about the whole food system. And is, yeah. is it, is it, are the bugs a way of grabbing people's attention to, to look at it a bit more in detail? Or is, is that actually a, a component of it as well? So with, um, with the dinner that's coming up, so the Sustainable uh, Bugs Feast, we actually got approached by the Environmental Film Festival uh, to partner with them. Mm-hmm. So they've got a couple of documentaries that they're screening. One's called Bugs on the Menu, yep. and one is called Sustainable. And so as part of their delivering of um, those documentaries, they thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could actually, you know, put this into practice and give people an opportunity to, you know, to actually eat the stuff? Right. Um, I think it's one thing to be able to say, hey, you know, we should all be eating bugs for X, Y, Z reasons. But unless you actually get an opportunity to engage with it um, in a tangible way and in a real way, then most people would be kind of stop at the point of it being an interesting idea yeah. and um, probably not not take it any further. So, Ben Mack is our guest. We are talking um, to him about the Social Food Project um, and in particular uh, a bug dinner happening Monday, October 3. Um, at what point, uh, Ben, did you decide that it was going to be a sensible idea to... Um, tempura some crickets and see if it makes a decent sanchoy bao. Yeah. Uh, so I guess just playing around with different um, ideas and particularly with textures. So I think, you know, when I was designing the menu, uh, one of the things that I guess I got feedback on was that, you know, bugs have these weird texture. It's often not even the flavor that put people off the, the texture. Um, so, you know, crickets are already pretty crunchy. I thought, why not put it in a tempura batter, <laughs> um, put it in a Sancho bao, and that's already going to have different elements of crunch. You know, we're going to have some fresh baby um, cod lettuce, lettuce cups. That's going to add the crunch in the tempura, and that's a way of kind of, um, you know, just making it a little bit more accessible. Um, and and one of the others is is ant crepes, and, and we've seen um, some of the world's best. So uh, I think Alex Atala at Dom does a dish which is ants and pineapple using sort of these quite large red ants and a chunk of pineapple. Um, yeah, Tad, you were saying earlier that Red Zippy at Noma has yes. an ant. It dish. was on mango. Yep, mm, you've eaten. I did eat them. Yes, and, like? um, there weren't enough of them on there actually to actually get the. The flavor, I thought mm. it was more the fact that they were there and being used. Um, was it, it was te- more the main Do you think, as Ben was saying, do you think it was a textural thing? No, because they were really, really tiny ants. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was mm. quite... But it was still... I mean, the combination of flavors worked, but... Because um, yeah. they've, they've got quite a distinctive... I know when you squash an ant, there's quite there a distinctive is. smell. Yes. Does that come into the flavor profile? Uh, absolutely. It, it would have. But, mm. it, but to actually... I mean, you really have to have a fine-tuned palate, I think, to actually discern that when you've got mango, which is quite a strong and sweet. Yeah. Ben, you're so. making an ant crazy for this dish, uh, sorry, yep. for this this dinner. Um, how are you preparing those? Are you just going to go and stand on the street and squash a whole bunch of ants and throw them into a crepe batter? Uh, so we actually have a have a supplier uh, from New South Wales who who you know produces the bugs for us. Um, and so yeah, she she sources all of we source that all through here. And the ones that we've got are, are quite small ants, and they have just slices flavour of Vegemite, actually, um, which is kind of unusual, but... Umami, uh, umami in ants, who'd have yeah. thought? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, I'm still exploring, and there's actually only a couple of people that are supplying ants 
at a commercial or any sort of bug at a commercial level. I remember when I was um, when I was a young man, I used to live up in Brisbane, and you used to be able to you know grab the the green ant, mm, and you yeah. could actually. You, I, and I was kind of a little bit hesitant to say this, but you know, one time I you know was encouraged to, to lick the bum of the green ant and see what it tasted <laughs> like. And it, it tastes—I um, I, I swear—it tastes exactly like tangy apple. The um, you know that kind of sour sour apple lolly. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've heard this about the, the green ants. You can also take the ends off them, and they do taste a little bit like a, a not quite ripe green apple. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, as far as, you know, licking ants' bottoms go, I think it was. Um, oh, look, we've all been there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's two of the courses. What else can we expect on the menu? Uh, yeah, so we've got a black pudding dish, which is coming with a mealworm crumb. And porcini cream. Yum. That one, I'm really excited about that one as well. So, and also and incorporating, one. yeah, incorporating other other ideas of sustainable food in there. So, you know, like black pudding, using kind of offal and blood and other parts of the animal that um, don't, aren't, you know, aren't as highly valued or highly utilized. Um, so you're matching that with with the porcini cream and a, and a mealworm crumb, which will be delicious. Fascinating. This is. Hey, uh, Ben, just a quick question for people who are, yeah. this is a totally foreign kind of concept um, to yep. the, 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 the bugs and things like that that are, are going to be used in your menu. Um, are they yep. in a sterile environment? I mean, how do they actually, you know, cultivate these things so that they're edible and not, you know, some people might think you just go outside and collect them. And I don't think that's actually the case. Yeah. So they're, they're produced up in New South Wales. And as I understand it, they have um, these large kind of, almost like greenhouses mm-hmm. and they they produce them in there um i'm, I'm not 100 percent across it but as i understand they feed them uh kind of like a fish fish meal so offcuts from and uh, things from, from the seafood industry yes and as a result actually they say that if you if you're allergic to shellfish then you can't eat insects okay really um and that's uh, another thing which is around you know utilizing some of this, um, some of the, you know, the waste from the food system, mm-hmm. and putting it back into it, into the system, and you know, just getting that extra value. Which, which, which is very much part of the the broader environmental impact, or, or uh, the the environmentally restorative impact of using bugs and things. There are other, I guess, side industries that that would feed into that for food. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Ben, and you know the uh, reason why. Why bugs are so, um, you know, why they are sustainable is because they, you know, industrial agriculture, especially, you know, large-scale agriculture, has a lot of um, energy inputs, a lot of water inputs, and requires large areas of land to, to do their do their business. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, bugs, they don't use as much input. The kind of input-output ratio is um, is a lot lower than a lot of, um, a lot of other proteins. And their breeding the cycle they, is so quick. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's not to say that you can't produce um, meat in a way that is sustainable. You know, there's a lot of amazing small-scale producers uh, in Victoria, Sage Beef um, and, and uh, Jonah, Jonai Farms, producing you know, pork and beef and lamb in a way that's actually restorative uh, and, and regenerative. So, Yeah. Look, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's quite fascinating, and I know... Wineries or vineyards, for example, quite often will take um, 
retired chickens, geese, guinea fowl, so some of those birds that uh, once they get past the ability to lay, they'll actually put them into in amongst the vines where they just sort of, you know, peck about and eat, eat some of the insects in there. At the same time, they're aerating soil um, yeah. through yeah. that incessant bloody pecking. Uh, the geese yeah. keep other pests away from the vineyards and all the poop um, becomes a, a, a form of fertiliser. Exactly, exactly. And I think more and more moving forward in this idea of, you know, production of food in a sustainable way, we are going to see more integrated methods, you know, where it won't just be monocrops or monocultures or one type of animal on a, on a farm. It'll be lots of different things integrated together. There's a guy you need to mimic- talk to. Um, he yeah. is in, uh, if, you, if you dropped a pin in the middle of Tasmania, there's a little town called Bothwell. Um, mm-hmm. And he has something called Thorpe Farms, and it started as a as a, a farm where there was a mill where they were growing wheat. Uh, yeah. They have now diversified, and they grow salsify and horseradish in the winter. Uh, they grow, yeah. they still grow livestock on the property. It's it, he's a Thorpe Farm, fascinating place. Um, we did an interview with him a couple of weeks ago. You'll actually find it on our podcast if you go to joy.org.au slash cravings. Ben, we've got to let you go, mate. Yeah, Thank you so much. And, and when you're back in Melbourne, I'd, we'd love to come and love you to come and talk more about the the social food project. Yeah, love, love to. Thanks Terrific. For me. Yeah, you're welcome. That's Ben Mack. He's put together a dinner which is called, uh, uh, it's an exploration of alternative food. It's a bug dinner, Monday, October 3. Uh, you can find tickets on Eventbrite or you'll also find some more information at grubfoodvan.com.au. We'll give you those details again at the end of the program. You are with Tad Lombardo and myself, Pete Dillon, here on Cravings on Joy 94.9. Hi, I'm Anna De Silva, and you're listening to Cravings with Pete Dillon on Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Yes, you are, but it's Pete Dillon and Tad Lombardo today. Tad is here as my co-host. He's currently doing the Taste of Radio course. I don't think you're going to really need to do much more because um, we've got an email from your mum who's listening in New Jersey. So, hello, Linda. Hi, Mum. Um, <laughs> she says, hi, Tad, from New Jersey. So happy and proud to hear you on the radio. Your granddad would be so proud that you're following in his footsteps. I'm listening on the Joy app. Love you, Mum. Hey, I'm out of chocolate. You need to send your mother some chocolate. I know. It's just a bit hard. <laughs> Christmas hey, time. So your, your granddad was in radio. What, yeah, you, he did. He was on a, a show called, uh, it was on WIP um, in, in Philadelphia, which uh, broadcast from the top of the Gimbals building at the mm-hmm. time. And um, he was an announcer on the show and was quite popular for it. And um, yeah, it, it's sort of, he's always been a radio buff, you know, even after that when he stopped the um, doing the show. But um, Why did he stop the show? Uh, he was actually, um, my aunt has, had said at the time, you know, he was asked to, or told to by the station manager that he had to sing his own jingles in between the um, segments, and he was not into that at all. I, I'm so. going to make that a suggestion here at Joy that we <laughs> no, sing our own <laughs> People will be turning off. Uh, hey, um, we'll, we'll do send your mother some chocolate. And again, hello, Linda. Um, it's <laughs> nice to have somebody listening in New Jersey. I'm curious... Um, Whilst we've been talking about um, all these weird foods, I'm sure your brain's been ticking over. What are some of the interesting things you put into your chocolate? Yeah, not quite as weird as bugs or, or unusual as bugs. But you could do that, couldn't you? I could, I could, and crickets would probably have a very nice texture. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of the, the lick in the bum of the green ants to um, create an apple flavour in a little... Like make, you could work. almost make a little apple crumble with a cricket and some green. I tell you what, when we run out of apples, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I do try to do some some different things, and you know, I mean, generally, if 
if I don't personally like it, I don't make it. Right. But with that said, every year at the Perrine Market, we have a truffle festival. Yes. And there are people that love their truffles and, and you, and, and truffles, you're talking fungi truffles. Proper truffles, yep. So I will, I do make a chocolate that has mm-hmm. truffle in it. Oh, and yum. I would eat that. Oh, I, I'll bring you some. I'm not a big fan of chocolate. Yep. Um, but I'm a big fan of truffles. Yeah, so. well, a perfect match, you know. Yeah. And it does work well together with a dark chocolate. So. Can you put cheese in chocolate? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I do a lot of ganache. Instead of using cream, you can use a soft cheese. Um, I've, I made a ganache with Roquefort cheese recently for a, a cake, oh and God. it was beautiful. It really works well. Yep. And we've got a, a cheese festival coming up in October, and I'll be doing... Um, Where is that cheese festival in October? I believe it's the 22nd of October, whatever the Saturday is, 22nd or 23rd. And um, Where is that being held? Where? Yeah. At the print market. Okay. Yeah, throughout the market. And... Um, it's. Uh, I'll be doing a um, a baked pretzel with a dark chocolate and parmesan cheese dipping sauce. Oh, yum! Beautiful. See, I like savory food. Cheese is good. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk to Lance Rosen in a little while about um, about smoke and, and infusing yep. things like hickory and mosquito, which you'd know much more about than I would because they're foreign to me. <laughs> so it's not that foreign. It's just you know imparting a flavor yeah. um, using smoke as opposed to uh, something else artificial. Can you get that smoke flavor in chocolate? Absolutely. There's a couple ways you can get that. You can actually, um, you know, create a bit of smoke with a, a smoke gun or a smoke machine mm-hmm. and enclose it. And the smoke machine is not the same one that we'd have at the market or, or the no. one of the nightclubs. It's a different no, smoke it's, machine. Well, uh, you can use the same, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it will work. But, but no, it is a, a different, it's mm. a, an industry sort of um, smoke gun that will put the smoke into a vessel and you keep it enclosed and it will impart the flavor. Um, I, I find doing it that way, um, you have to be very careful because you don't want your chocolate in this, in, in my case, yeah. to taste like an ashtray, which too much of it will make it taste like that. So, so. What, how, do, how do you flavor the smoke that you want to put into? It, it could be applewood. It could be... Um, you know, whatever cherry. the flip, mm. cherry, absolutely, mm. I, and that's how you would do it. Or you can also use, um, you know, some tea leaves in, in conjunction with it, or just tea leaves itself, and that mm-hmm. would impart that flavor as well. Um, so that's another way of doing it, as if you didn't want to use wood. But um, sorry, my little yeah. brain. That's <laughs> you all right. See the way my brain. You can hear my brain clanging. I'm imagining something like. Um, Lapsang Souchong tea, which has already got that bit of a smoky a flavor, or or an Earl Grey tea that has yeah. the bergamot. Flavor. Absolutely, that would work. Absolutely, and mm. I think with the tea, it's a bit more of a subtle flavor as opposed to the, you know, using wood is a mm. bit more robust. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. There's a um, a, a Kubitscher chocolate that the um, cacao comes out of Papua New Guinea, and generally in chocolate making, the the beans are fermented and dried at the plantation, then sent to the factory where they roast them, mm-hmm. similar to a coffee roaster. Yeah. Um, but this particular Kubitscher that comes out of Papua New Guinea is actually roasted at the plantation where they um, roast it over bamboo wood and and other types of wood that they have there and it actually imparts a smoky flavor to the chocolate and it's so subtle and lovely and I've never smoked and I don't like smoking and that's why I don't like that that flavor necessarily Mm -hmm. but in this instance because it's so subtle and sort of part of the the flavor profile of the chocolate as a result of the way it was roasted it works really well what would you if you were to make a a field chocolate with that chocolate what would you put in it to match that flavor um, well, for me, I, I, I just use that, you know, one of the things I make, one of the things I try to do is, is I, um, 
I try to recreate chocolates from my childhood. Um, and one of the things you're, I love... You're like really wonk, right? Well, not quite <laughs> like that, but um, I, I try to, <laughs> to do it. And one of the things is a Tootsie Roll, um, which is yeah. an American thing. Yeah. So I, I do, I, I make little chocolate cigars using that curvature that, that has that smoky flavor yeah. with just the chocolate um, and make it into a cigar. So it's sort of kind of a fun it's play your, on your that. version of a Tootsie yeah. Roll. Yeah. What about, um, what are they called? Uh, a whoopie pie. If you create, I do whoopie pies. Yeah. Little whoopie pies or big yeah. whoopie pies? Uh, they're about, well, they can, they're a good size. Let's, let's yeah. talk to, the, to, the, to those who don't know what a whoopie pie is. Yeah, so whoopie pie is an American thing. Uh, it, it's said that it started with the Amish people, and when they would have extra cake batter, they would make these little tiny pies and then fill them with what initially was like a marshmallow filling, which mm-hmm. I don't fill mine with marshmallow. Um, and then people would, they would be in their lunchbox and they would yell whoopie when... Uh, you know, they're that's excited they to have it. Really? That's what how it happened. Absolutely. And the farmers wow. too. Yeah. But um but my whoopie pies have the devil's food cake as yes. the, 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 the sandwich. Which part. is quite a rich dark. It is, absolutely. Cake, yeah. and, mm. and um and then the inside I use a, a white chocolate and a um uh vanilla filling. Yum. And it's got some cream cheese in it too. So it's a bit of a bit better than marshmallow, I think. Yeah, I don't like marshmallow. Yeah. Um let's take a couple of steps back. You're an engineer. Originally, yes. How did this discovery of chocolate come about? It's interesting because, I mean, I've, as a kid, you like chocolate, but I was never obsessed with it mm. until my later in life. And um, after 21 years in the industry of engineering, I got a bit sick of the politics and being in the corporate world, and I just got tired of it. with the crap. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I, I, I've always loved food. I managed a catering company back in the States, and loved that part of it I probably loved it more than I did the engineering and, and yeah. I always knew that so I always thought at some point I would get back into doing the mm-hmm. the food side of it and I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was ready to make that change when and you grew up <laughs> exactly um, but it was one of those things where I was at that point where I've had enough and I'm either going to talk about doing it or I'm going to do it and mm. I'm more of a doer than a talker so a big risk absolutely mm. I mean you, you your your whole life as you knew it is different. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I have a, a partner who is very supportive, and and you know, we didn't go hungry or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah. from an income point of view, it was zero. Mm. You know, to start with, and you start at zero, and you've got to stay at zero for quite. That's some right. Time. That's mm. right. And I mean, even now, it's touch and go sometimes. But yeah. you just do it because you love it. You know. How did you um, How did you hook up with Ben Shuri at Attica? That's an interesting one. Uh, six months after um, deciding I was going to make this mm. change, I thought, well, I'm not starting at the bottom, and. I'm going to find out if I'm good enough. And if I'm not, well, then I'll give it up and I'll do something else. And, engineering. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Or, or, or just find something else that I wanted mm. to do. And I just um, took a chance. Attica's a couple of streets away from home. And, mm-hmm. and we'd been going there since before the awards. And I always loved what Ben was doing and And, and there's philosophy. somebody else who's always interested in taking interesting foods and recreating them Absolutely. in a different way to give them flavor. Definitely. And... and um, and I've learned a lot from Ben from that regard of things. And, yeah. um, but I just went into Attica. It was one Valentine's Day that, um, it was on a Sunday that normally Attica's not open on Sundays. And, and I offered to, um, give some, a, a couple chocolates in a box to each couple that was dining there mm-hmm. free of charge. And then Ben and I became close friends and yes. it just went from there. So. And he's been a big influence on what you do. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. From the point of um, well, many things, but you know, the ethical side of it, mm. the, um, the the you know, trying to have a story. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned from Ben is that it, it it's important for what you're doing to 
have a story behind it? Well, um, it's a, it's an, I'm going to put my marketing and, and PR yeah. hat on. It's much easier to sell a story if there's a story to tell, if there's That's some right. integrity and brand behind it. It's so much easier. And for people to learn something from yeah. it as well. So it's not just eating this amazing dish or, or something that's like that. It's about that person taking an experience away from mm. them as well. I'm always reminded of the potato. Oh, I love that dish. And, and the story behind the potato. Yeah. So um, I think I've made Ben tell it half a dozen times <laughs> over the years that he, he cooked the potato in the earth in which it was grown. Yep. Um, so when he ordered the, the potatoes to come in the sack, yep. he ordered the earth to come as well ultimately um, found the right potato in the right soil. That's right. Cooked the potato in the soil. But it came, the story he tells, it came, the inspiration came from um, when he was a kid growing up in, in coastal New Zealand. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a gathering, a party. Yeah. Um, they laid a hungi, I think, yes. which is the correct terminology. That is, yeah. Um, and his uncle sent his older cousins and he over to get some geese yes in another paddock and only wanted a couple of geese and they ended up sort of killing all these geese like a stupid yeah. amount of geese um and then so the uncle made them sit and pluck and clean and yep. deal with all of the these geese that they had killed yep. and one of the things that went into the hungi was some kumra a sweet potato yeah yep. um and that memory stuck with him and Definitely. influenced that dish those stories are so easy to absorb and love and and create Absolutely. that relationship with food because of and that particular incident um spurred a film a short film that was made called Hide the Brutality. So if you um, search that on YouTube... What's it called? Hide the Brutality. Hide the Brutality. Yeah. And um, sort of tells the story in a in a, a visual kind of way. He's a good bloke, Ben Shuri. He is. And I love the way he thinks. Yes. We're going to speak very shortly to Lance Rosen. He is the author of a barbecue book. He's a bit obsessed by barbecue, and I'm a bit fascinated whilst we're on this taste journey of things that are different and unusual on how we can use charcoal and and wood to to flavor food and and give it a profile that is completely different to what um to what we've had before tad lombardo is my co-host he'll be here regularly joining you on the wireless i am pete dylan it's 90 minutes to two and you are on cravings right here on joy 94.9 hi i'm manny Fildel and you are with pete dylan on cravings on joy 94.9 yes you are on cravings here on joy 94.9 tad lombardo and pete dylan with you until two o'clock tad are you into, i know you said earlier you don't like smoking but that's i think the cigarette type yes um do you like smoked food do you like the fl- i do mm. i do like smoked food and and it's it just adds a whole new depth of, of flavor to the to the dish of, of what you're having I, I don't like it so smoked that that's the overpowering mm. flavor but I do like um, food that, that does have it. You know, there's a lot of times people are making curds and things like that that are smoked, and it's quite a, a lovely flavor to uh, to include. Then there's those great big machines that are filled with briquettes yeah. and bits of wood. Somebody who uh, we met about a year ago um, when he released his book is joining us this minute. His name is Lance Rosen. Lance, good afternoon. Hi, Pete. Hi, Todd. How are Hi, you? Hi, Lance. Um, curious on... Uh, we, we've been talk- talking all the way through the program about unusual foods that that people are eating and and changes in the way that we prepare and and impart flavor into food and uh charcoal and and wood is one of those things we've talked about throughout uh the program today how i'm I'm knowing you're an an expert in this area and neither ted nor i are um how do you how do you impart the flavor of say apple wood or hickory or mosquito into charcoal briquettes or into 
lamp charcoal to be able to... I I think uh, what we're trying to talk about is how to get that into the food, I guess, really. And I would agree with Tad that probably the biggest mistake that anybody's going to make when they first start smoking is to over-smoke the food. I think the smoke needs to be used as an ingredient, as a component, not the main flavour profile. You don't want to feel like you've licked an ashtray or you're burping smoke. Now, now you can get many different kinds of woods or pellets, and these days now are flavoured or um, charcoal from apple wood or hickory wood and those kinds of things, and they're all going to impart their own style of flavour. Lance, what's the best wood for for smoking? I mean, I, I imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that using something like apple wood, you could do with um, some more gentle meat like veal or, or some poultry, whereas um, something that's bigger like hickory or mosquito would be better used with beef or pork or lamb. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think, look, the mesquite is quite a heavy smoke profile. And for me, what it comes down to is the densities of the wood. So, for example, if I got apple wood that was extremely dense, um, quite young, a bit green, it's going to give off a lot more smoke than older wood as well, uh, which is a little bit drier and it doesn't have all those sugars in them. For me, the level of smoke really comes down to the cleanliness of the fire that you're using. Uh, I spoke to somebody in America a very long time ago and said, oh, in Australia we struggle to find all these woods. This is when I was first starting out. And he said, use what you've got local. Uh, if it's too smoky, just use less of it. Well, it's a very simple recipe. Um, when you and I spoke earlier today, we were talking about uh, there is a new product in the Australian market, um, and Tad and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, created by Henry Ford when he was wanted to find a use for the offcuts of the wood that he was using to make the Model T. Um, created a company which I think was originally called Ford Charcoal um, and is now called Kingsford Charcoal. It's America's number one charcoal. Um, how does that product stack up for you? Well, it's, it's amazing to have it on the market, actually. Um, probably a year ago, you could only get the original Kingsford charcoal. Costco had a special, you know, it ran until it was run out, and now I think it's recently barbecues galore, uh, bringing, I think it's barbecues galore bringing them in. But what they've got is they've got, obviously, the original Kingsford briquettes, and, um, you know, they've got the briquettes, which are made now with apple wood in them and hickory wood in them, and I, I use them as a flavoring. So I use a handful of those along with, you know, what other, whatever other briquettes I had, because I don't want to um, over-smoke anything. So I would control it that way. And I'm assuming you would put these in a Weber kettle or you could put them into um, a barbecue grill that has the capacity to hold these yeah, things? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not the smoke Nazi. You know, if, if you're going to add some smoke to something, you don't have to use only a smoker. I mean... There are guys using gas kettles with a hood. What you do is you light your charcoal maybe in a chimney, uh, put it in a metal bowl on the side inside the hood so it's imparting that smoke flavour. Um, you know, it's, uh, for me, real barbecue is cooked on wood. But, you know, you can still get that smoke flavour in there. Also, too, Lance, I think it's probably important to note um, for people that have never really smoked anything with with wood before and might want to try to never use anything that's been, you know, treated wood or or something from the the backyard that we're not sure where it's actually come from, um, because that can actually impart, you know, negative impure, impurities and things into food that would not be terribly healthy to ingest. Yes, and I'd say also the fast light briquettes, which have some kind of uh, chemical on them, which helps them light 
quickly. I mean, yep. that chemical burns off at a higher temperature. When we're talking about smoking, we are talking about lower temperature cooking uh, to impart those flavors. And um, one of the main things that I look for, and we're talking about the quality of the smoke before, yep. you're looking for a clean fire. You don't want to see billows of uh, black or white smoke coming out of there. Um, when we talk in smoking circles, we talk about the thin blue line of smoke. So you've got a very clean fire. And the way to burn a clean fire is you make a smaller, hotter fire rather than this massive fire where you just continue chucking wood on top. It sounds like the announcements of a papal election. <laughs> they were different <laughs> colour. Clean blue smoke. <laughs> I think hey. it should be rainbow-coloured smoke, shouldn't it? Well, I, uh, yeah, that, well we, we shall leave that That's for the bit of... <laughs> um, there is... Um, I, I saw on Twitter, I think, the other day, or, or Instagram, somebody had... Um, one of those chimeneas that you put out in your um, in your garden and, and sit around it and play the ukulele and sing Kumbaya, um, where they'd had the the smoke, the the briquettes in in the bottom. Let's say they've used a hickory or a mosquito briquette in the bottom, in the chimenea on top of a normal fire. And as the smoke travelled north up the chimenea, which is you know about five six foot tall, there was a rack that they'd built on the top that had some meat. I think it may have been beef that was then wrapped around the top so it was getting that smoke flavour that was coming through the chimney. I thought it was quite clever. Would you recommend that? Oh, absolutely. One, I mean, wonderful idea. The very old school, you know, um, people would, you know, in the old days, you'd kill a pig and you'd cure part of it and you'd make sausage and then you'd cure your ham and you'd hang it inside the chimney under your fire and you'd just wash it with smoke. And uh, so as long as you... As I said, burning a clean fire, obviously not putting anything treated on top. I've seen uh, smokehouses in um, uh, in America, Sykes Barbecue in Alabama. They've got the main grill, a little fire at the bottom, but in the chimney, they're hanging all their hands, which they then cut them fresh during the day. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm actually salivating a little bit now. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the nicest ham sandwiches I've ever eaten. To I should imagine. So do you have one of those... Um Lance, one of those great big things that looks like a tractor that you, you smoke in? I have uh, lots of different smokers. Um, my wife loves me very much and doesn't generally say no when I'm buying a new one. I can't have the always, easy to, uh, always easy to ask for an apology than seek permission. Oh, look, you know, she's normally pretty good. I'm only, <laughs> the only thing I'm not allowed is um, the spit roast. No baby animals uh, going on the spit roast in the back garden. She's a party I think pooper. I counted about seven... <laughs> about seven smokers in my back garden uh, a few weeks ago. And we, at the risk of mentioning the brand again, um, you yeah. were saying again earlier that this particular product that's coming, that, that is the number one in the US, um, this Kingsford charcoal, has made a big difference to um, how you smoke? Well, absolutely. I think, it's, look, I think it's a game changer when you've got wood uh, wood infused or wood flavoured charcoals because um, you know, normally you would have only plain briquettes. Now you can then add a handful of hickory or a handful of applewood onto your normal briquettes. Um, one of the smokers that I do use, I don't know if you're happy for me to mention a brand, it's not something I sell or do uh, sure. with, is the uh, pit barrel smoker. Yep. And it's just a little uh, drum. One of the things they do is they do recommend the Kingsford briquettes because they are very even in size and they do cook evenly. I mean, I use the Australian equivalents, I guess, as well as the Kingsford product. Um, I think every product adds something to it. So I will use redheads or heat beads or one of those and then put the flavoured or the infused 
uh, Kingsford um, briquettes on top of that as well to add extra flavour. Um, it's fascinating. I did see a guy in New Zealand who was repurposing wine barrels um, and had made this this oven-type creation in a wine barrel where it had a little water in the bottom as well, and he was using that to smoke um, some wild goat, which is quite prevalent on the South Island of, of, Queens, of uh, New Zealand around Queenstown. So he had this incredible contraption he's made, which I think he's going to end up bringing to Australia um, in a gas version. Um, right. And uh, he was, was doing goat, wild goat in this thing. It was absolutely magnificent. I wonder, I mean, wild goat is normally quite lean, you know, and often with the smoking process, it can dry out the very lean meat. So when we look for meats that have a little bit more fat in them, generally uh, tend to be more forgiving. But, um, you know, originally from South Africa, we're talking about weird things that you eat. You know, I grew up eating biltong. It was one of the things that gave babies, it's a jerky, and they give babies for teething, you know. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think probably the weirdest thing I ever ate was in Australia. They, somebody offered me a Vegemite sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got 30 seconds to go. I'm going to give you five different products, and you can tell me which is the best way to smoke them. Mackerel? Uh, mackerel, I'll smoke it with elderwood. Elderwood? Okay. Yeah. Um, lamb? Lamb, uh, hickory. Uh, chicken? Um, chicken, I would. I use hickory and cherry wood together. Salmon? Um, salmon, I'd go for a softer wood, older cherry, something like that. And my favourite, pig. Pig or applewood. Applewood or hickory wood is beautiful for pigs. <laughs> there we go. That's a, a quick lesson in smoking. Hey, Lance, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure. Good, Good to, to talk to you. Dad. Take care. Nice to meet you. That's Lance Rosen. He's a very clever man. Knows a lot about smoking and, and woods. And, and there you go. We've had a bit of a lesson, Ted. We have. Are uh, you uh, are you more informed now? Actually, I am. You know, good. You've been furiously taking notes. I have been. I'm absolutely <laughs> learning. Um, I will give a couple of mentions at the end of the show, uh, which is coming up now because I've got to hand you over to the lovely folk from the Escape Pod. Um, they have Penelope with them today from the Barking Spider. Uh, talking all things visual art for storytelling. Fascinating program, almost as fascinating as this one. And don't forget, if you do miss a program, go to joy.org.au backslash forward, sorry, forward slash cravings, um, and you can download podcasts. Generally, they're up on Monday night, and I need to give a bit of a shout out to, to Pete, who is the podcaster for this program. Very diligent, does a really great job. So thank you, Pete, for, um, your continued work on getting those podcasts to the interwebs. So that's joy.org.au slash cravings, and you can download any episode you might have missed. It's four minutes to two. G'day, I'm Pete Evans, and you are with Pete Dillon on Cravings on Joy 94.9. Tad Lombardo, three minutes to two. We're almost done. It's time for us to pack up our bat and ball and go home. It's gone quick. What are you doing this afternoon? You're making more chocolate? I am. Back to the shop. Back to the shop. Um, a reminder that you can um, go to uh, your interwebs and find the Social Food Project. Um, if you want to know more about the Grub Food Van and the exploration of alternative food at the Bug Dinner, it is Monday, October 3. Tickets, 140 bucks. Includes your drinks. That's uh, Go to eventbrite.com uh, to get your tickets or go to grubfoodvan.com.au. Hide the Brutality is the film, Tad, that you were talking about. That, yes. Um, tells the Ben Shuri story. Yes. Um, Kings for Charcoal you can find on a search engine. I know it is available at, um, I think, 
Lance in Woolworths. It's also around Costco some, get things yeah, too very and, and, and some yeah. Metcash, so some IGA yeah. stores, barbecues galore. Hey, um, thanks for coming and playing. And how was your first you. your first show as a as a co-host? I loved it. Really enjoyed it. Good. I reckon you'll be able to take this show over shortly. It could be all yours. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you, you could have the Saturday one o'clock slot. That's right. And I might have after eight years. I'm, day I, off. I might have a day off. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> um, we'll be back next week, of course, with another action-packed show for you. Um, I do need to say thank you again to Pete, who is uh, our podcaster. Those podcasts are at craving, uh, sorry, joy.org.au slash cravings. You can find us on Twitter on uh, cravingsjoy949. Uh, I need to say thank you to Dean Beck for Word for Word, another fascinating program as always. Jake Smithhurst for the news and the lovely program support team that sit out the front and answer the phone, take your questions. Thanks also to Linda for sending us an email all the way from New Jersey. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Mum. You look mildly embarrassed by that. Oh, just a little bit. No, well, it's all good. Well, we be able to tell that, that, that story of your grandfather. Yeah. I think that's quite romantic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm. And what's on, um, what's on for the rest of the week? Cheese Festival, when is it? October 22? Yeah, if that's the Saturday, 22nd or 23rd, I forget exactly the 8, date 15, on that. 23. 23rd, yep. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yep. 23rd of October. And, um, so we're like, gearing up for that, and all mm. the traders at the market will be taking part, and be a lot of other traders that are, are, are invited to take oh, part as well. Yep. And then there is a 10-day Cheese Festival coming in yes, November. that sounds incredible. Yes, and it's all European cheese. It's going to be magnificent. Yeah. So uh, we'll update you on that because we're going to be talking to a fellow by the name of Johnny DeFrancesco. Yeah. He was making a pizza at Grady the other day. Um, uh, 99 different cheeses. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I'll let you ponder incredible. on that for the rest of the afternoon. Again, the escape pod have pa- Penelope from the Barking Spider talking visual art and storytelling. I'm handing you over to them in three, two, one. Good afternoon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.